the cells in your body regenerate on average every seven to ten years. That's what the authorities say, at least. That means that if you took a snapshot of your cellular makeup right now, and then you took another one in seven to ten years, your body would consist of a whole new set of cells. Things like cells, tissue, everything else that makes up our bodies is constantly changing, transitioning, degenerating. Perhaps some of you uh, are more familiar with this reality than others. (laughs) To have a body, or better, to be a body, is to be in a constant state of development, a state of becoming. It's more helpful, then, to speak of human becomings than it is to speak of human beings, as one of my professors once said. In a sense, we exist at a point in time right now, but our exact existence right now can't be replicated at another time. Not exactly. The nature of life, of creaturely life, is dynamic, evolving, developing through time. This is the case for human bodies, yes, but it's also the case for the body of Christ. Now this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 78, and then we're going to read it through the two passages that John just read, one in the Old Testament and one in the New. All of these texts discuss the theme of passing on the faith from one generation to another. Now, because of this, I toyed with the image of the relay race as a way to frame today's message. But I don't think that gets to the heart of it. Rather than each generation being part of a relay team, running and then passing a baton, each generation is like a set of cells or tissue that's constantly being replaced regenerated, but is part of the same body. As we study the passages for this morning, then, I want you to keep this image, this cellular image, in mind. We'll begin with Psalm 78, and I'll read it in its original context, and then we'll look at the two passages before concluding with some words of application. And then we're going to do a baptism. So friends, we have lots to do this morning, but before we do any of it, let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for promising to be present where at least two believers are gathered. There are more than two here this morning, Lord, and we are so grateful for that. And we pray that you would reveal yourself, your heart, your mind to us in a fresh, new way so that we become just a little bit more like you in the process. Soften our hearts to receive what you have for us in this passage and in this beautiful, visible rite that is baptism. We love you and thank you for the privilege of being here to worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 78, if you would. Psalm 78, continuing our series, our short series in the book of Psalms before Advent. 
Uh, Psalm 78 is not a lament psalm. It's not a messianic psalm, a praise psalm. It's a masculine of Asaph, not by David, but Asaph. And a masculine is thought to be either a skilled song, a song that required skill to put together, or a song that teaches something, an instructive psalm, a wisdom psalm. I think it is an instructive psalm, and it's a long one. And it goes on to talk about the history of the people of Israel, journeying through many of the stories we read in Exodus. But the first eight verses comprise a kind of introduction to orient or posture you toward the rest of the psalm. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning, at least the first seven verses. So Psalm 78 in the ESV will read the first seven verses. And as you are able, friends, would you now stand for the reading of God's word? Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. You may be seated. So what I want to do first is look at Psalm 78 in its poetic literary context in the Old Testament before pulling it through the other two passages in Deuteronomy and 2 Timothy. In the first few lines, we get some vivid imagery in Psalm 78. It literally opens with this phrase, Give ear to my teaching. A metaphorical phrase that's if taken literally, means to to take your ear and to give it to teaching. Very vivid image. In parallel with this is the next line, which says, extend your ears, so stretch out your ear toward the words of my mouth. This is, of course, figurative language. It would be outlandish to interpret this literally, but, but doing so helps us understand the significance of the words to follow. The speaker here is asking listeners to stretch out their ears, the organ of hearing, to the mouth, the organ of speech, and to pay attention, pay close attention to what he will say. In verse 2, he continues with some of this imagery. The speaker says, I will open my mouth, so the same image, mouth, with a parable. And with a parable means by means of a parable. I want you to think of the poet's mouth being full of a parable, and the parable is just prying its way out. It's opening the mouth so it can get out. That is is what the poet is saying 
here. My words are so important, they need to be heard, that it's like they're prying open my mouth. Stretch your ears to the words I'm about to say. He then says, I will pour forth, more vivid imagery, pour forth mysteries from of old. The ESV says dark sayings, but dark connotes kind of evil or negative sayings, but that's not what he means. He means dark as in mysterious, um, kind of riddles, as it were, things that they had heard about but didn't fully understand. In verse 3, it says that these are things, however, which we have heard, which we've known, things which our fathers have recounted to us. The poet is representing the people of Israel and is calling them to remember those times as kids where they sat in a circle listening to the stories of Israel's past told by their fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers. We all have that image of sitting around a, a grandmother who tells stories about the family. And that is the setting invoked here. Talking about ancestral stories, parts of Israel's history, the ways in which God acted for them. And in verse 4, it says that we will not hide them from their children. These mysteries, these stories, these wonderful things that God has done for the people of Israel, with the people of Israel, are, are prying open the mouth of the poet and trying to get into the ears of the listeners. I, I'm really spelling out the imagery because this poetic language creates an experience for us. It's more than just saying, pay attention, this is important. It's this is important, okay? The poet is talking about transmitting tradition, the stories of Israel, to future generations and the importance of that. And these mysteries, these dark sayings, at the end of verse 4, are the glorious deeds of the Lord and the wonders that he has done. We just read Exodus, which could in itself comprise all of these wonders. If all we had was the book of Exodus, friends, we would have much to talk about, about Yahweh, right? I think the Exodus narrative, as you will see if you read the rest of the psalm, is really in view here. God performing miracles in Egypt to free the people from slavery and captivity. God parting the Red Sea in the wilderness providing bread and water for a hungry and thirsty people and leading them to the promised land. But that's only the tip of the iceberg. The poet goes on to describe the wonders that God has wrought in their midst. And in verse 5, he says that he established a testimony in Jacob and he appointed a law in Israel. You can see the parallelism. I think this refers directly to God giving the law, giving Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai. We read some of these passages. God revealing his mind, his will to the people, establishing this instruction, this Torah for the people. And this is a law, still verse 5, which he commanded our fathers 
So we get this first-person language. The poet is talking about us, the people of Israel, those fathers who would tell you stories when you were kids. God commanded this law to our fathers so that it would be taught to the future generations. It says to their children, verse 6, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. This law was not only to inform the life and ethics and spirituality of the people who were gathered around Mount Sinai at that moment, but this law was meant to exist through time, to stretch out, to be passed on, and to shape the lives of generations upon generations afterward. Each generation in verse 6 is called to rise up, that's the language, to rise up and tell their children these stories, these laws, these principles. And in verse 7, the end of our passage, we see the purpose of all of this. It's not just to satisfy historical curiosity or to just draw a boundary around this people as a distinct, distinct ethnic people with certain traditions. But the telling of these stories, the passing on of this tradition, is to create trust and hope in them, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments." Receiving, hearing these stories, the words that are spilling out of the poet's mouth, which you can read in the following verses, is meant to produce devotion to God in the present. As we receive the truths of the gospel, the truths of Scripture, internalizing them and passing them on, We are part of God's work in producing trust and commitment in future generations. In other words, the body, these cells are being regenerated. The body is kept alive and is growing through time. And so this work of passing on the truth about God is vital. It's vital. Now I want to move to the two texts that were read before, one which comes before Psalm 78, Deuteronomy 11, and then one which comes after in 2 Timothy 2. You can turn to Deuteronomy 11 if you'd like. This context comes after the people of Israel have journeyed through the wilderness, And they're about to enter the promised land. And so Moses is speaking to a fresh generation of Israelites. Not the people who were enslaved in Egypt, but the children, sons and daughters of those people. Moses is not permitted to enter the land. And so he is relaying some things to this generation in order to inform, shape their life in the land, which was soon to come. These are very famous verses in Deuteronomy 11. Moses is saying about all of the commands God had given, you shall lay up these words as as if you were laying them in a, a treasury or a storehouse. 
You shall lay them up in your heart and in your soul. It says, you shall bind them on your hands. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, a lot of this was certainly taken literally in Israel. But I think we can also imagine this figuratively. You are to completely internalize the things that I'm telling you. They are to color or shape the way that you live. It says, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house, on your gates. Anybody who comes to your house will know that you are saturated with the Word of God. In verse 21, the purpose is, so that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord promised to give you. We see this principle of passing on the tradition as early as Deuteronomy. And it's not just to to keep the people of God alive. It's not just to maintain their religion. It's more than that. It's to ensure that the promises of God, His kingdom work through Israel would continue. That this body, in recycling its cells, that this body would be kept alive so that it can do the work of God in the world. The next text I want to look at briefly is in 2 Timothy. And for Christians, this is just a beautiful illustration of this principle. You can turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, nearing the end of his life, is mentoring a young Timothy who has assumed leadership of a church in Ephesus. And Paul is about to be executed, and so he is giving Timothy, his child, his spiritual child, advice about how to move forward in ministry. And even though this doesn't refer to biological children or biological generations, we see here the notion of spiritual generations, of passing on God's truth, the truth of the gospel, as well as the way of life that comes with the gospel. Passing that on to those whom we are discipling in their faith. The first seven verses in chapter 2, Paul even refers to Timothy, addresses him as my child. He says, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You only say that when the task is difficult. And he says, What you've heard from me, what you have received, in other words... In the presence of many witnesses, as though Timothy, like an Israelite child, is sitting in a circle as Paul tells the story, what you've received, entrust, transmit, deliver to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. This is the same principle, friends, of passing on what we have received the recycling of faith and devotion. And then we get these beautiful metaphors, soldier, athlete, farmer. Paul talks about the suffering that will come via commitment to Jesus. Think over what I say, he says in verse 7, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And toward the end of this letter, It seems that Paul knows he is about to be executed. 
We see here that as Christians, I think our most important work is to receive God's truth and internalize it, to live it, and then to pass that on to the next generation. Not only the content, the truth content, the propositions, the statements of faith, but the way of life, how we live, is to be recycled, regenerated into new cells in the body of Christ. Now, if you're used to thinking of yourself or of the church as rather fixed or stable at a moment in time, all of this may be quite bewildering for you, and it is for me too. But I want you to recall the Old Testament image of life as a journey, life as a journey. The Hebrews understood that the life of a person or a community is a process. It's not a single point on a timeline. I think our readings for this morning emphasize that truth. That the people of God exist through time. If you were to zoom out at the whole life of a human being, say one who's had ten cycles of new cells, you wouldn't say that cycle one is one person, cycle two is another, and cycle three, and so forth, right? It's all the same person, the same human being. And so it is with the church, friends. I think one day we'll zoom out and we'll see the whole timeline, all the cycles from beginning to end. We'll see the generations of God's people from Adam to David to Jesus to us and beyond. And each generation is not a different body, it's not a different people, but the self-same people of God at a different stage in the body's journey, the body's life. We, the people of God, live at moments in time, an infinite number of them, yes. But our true existence derives from our development, our becoming through time. That, I think, is why history, story, tradition... Ancestral wisdom is also important. What I mean is, passing on the faith isn't just about maintaining our religion. Passing on the faith, rather, like the recycling of cells in the human body, is precisely what a living organism does, what it is taking what's been entrusted to us, a set of truths, stories, a way of life, and passing it on to the next generation isn't incidental or an add-on to our ministry. No. It's part of what it means to be the body of Christ. Friends, God designed bodies to be the sorts of things that change and develop through time. 
This doesn't mean we're to change our fundamental beliefs like we change ourselves, ourselves, no. But it does mean that it's not just about us having faith, loving God right now. It's about holding that faith, that way of life, and not letting it go through all the ups and downs, all the tough seasons of life. And it's about each generation holding that weathered faith and passing it on to their children and their children and beyond. The people of God, from Adam to David to Jesus to us and beyond, exist through time. Let us embrace this reality, friends, and let ourselves recycle, just as our God designed it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the way you created us. Help us to accept and to embrace the fact that we exist in time, even if you don't. You, being outside of it all, see it from beginning to end, the whole thing. But you did enter into it as Jesus, feeling what it is to be human, what it is to grow, to develop, to die. Lord, help us to be your body here on earth, Help us to do your work, to function as a body, an active, healthy body, but to let the cells be recycled into a new generation of servants, of leaders. Lord, I pray that you would build into us a desire to pass on, to transmit, to look to the future. And I pray that this baptismal experience with Reuben would be the first domino. We love you and pray that you'd be glorified in this celebration this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.